Thessalonians chapter 3, our New Testament reading. We'll be finishing up that book today and then moving on, Lord willing, this afternoon to what we call the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. But let's uh, finish up here in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all men have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved ourselves, or we we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So we come now to this final chapter. We have, I think it's reasonable to divide the chapter into three parts. We have the first part, which stretches down through verse 5. We have the middle part, which is verses 6 through through 15. And then 16 to the end, we have the the ending, uh, which includes a a, a benediction and so on. All right, so in the first five verses, notice we have some ministry concerns. And in these ministry concerns... The Apostle Paul will ask, really will crave, the prayers of the Thessalonian church. As we've said, historically speaking, these are the first, these are probably the first two epistles written by the Apostle Paul in his writing career. 
uh, written while he was yet in Macedonia, uh, or perhaps having traveled south into Achaia, uh, but shortly after having left the Thessalonian churches, uh, or the, the church there, he writes these two letters. And in writing them, <clears throat> notice he's asking for prayer that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. We heard that, didn't we, earlier on in the book, where when the Thessalonians received the preaching of the word of God, they received it as it is in truth, the very word of God. And so that word has had free course among the Thessalonians. Paul is asking them to pray that it might have free course with others as well. Here he is probably down in Achaia, right, south Greece uh, in Corinth. And so he's asking for that prayer in the apostolic ministry there. And we'll, <clears throat> we'll remember also that there is yet another missionary journey to go beyond this one, right, beginning in, act, in late 18 and then 19, where he goes to Ephesus and so on, and all of those stops al along the western portion of Asia Minor. So there is yet many uh, apostolic labors to be performed. Paul asks for prayer. We apply that, don't we, by asking for prayer for our ministers, uh, especially those in like-minded churches, that the Lord would grant us not only accuracy, not only cutting it straight, not only a competent expression in truth, not only freedom from the doctrines and commandments of men, but as we said earlier in these days of division, that we would be as ecumenical as we are able to be, yet maintaining conscience. Right? Those things are pretty important to remember in prayer. And so let's take that encouragement and remember that to be in prayer for our churches in that same way and for the advance of the gospel. Uh, that was one of the things we prayed for last Wednesday night. Okay, so now we move on. Uh, <clears throat> notice he's asking also for deliverance from unreasonable and wicked men for not all men have faith. Well, that's an understatement, right? Not all men have faith. But many of those faithless men are also persecutors. They have devolved into persecutions. It's not just uh, being uh, tolerant. It's, it, it, it's rather intolerant of the Christian faith. And intolerant of it than pressing against it with persecution. Unreasonable and wicked men. Uh, remember, Paul was driven from the Thessalonian churches uh, by the Jews that persecuted him. He went to Berea. They followed him south, those Jews from Thessalonica. They followed him into Berea. They chased him out of town there. Now he's in Corinth. They've had some, uh, uh, they've had some difficulty in Corinth as well from the synagogue. And so they've been chased out of the synagogue as well. So Paul is asking for a venue for preaching. Right? That they might be able to do so apart from persecution. That they might be delivered. Alright, but then notice also, he will, he will express not only the difficulties, but and isn't this like, uh, like it ought to be in the Christian faith, that while we are open, honest, and, and understanding with regard to the difficulties that we have, they don't drive us into a faithlessness, notice, but the Lord is faithful. That's the next thing that Paul says, right? So uh, we're not moved in, in such a way that we somehow lose our faith, we lose confidence in what God is doing, and so on, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. That's verse 3. Then in verses 4 and 5, we see two things. Number one, 
in that outward obedience, but outward obedience is not enough. The apostle also says that we should pray that the Lord would direct our hearts into the love of God, that that is an inside-out kind of obedience rather than an outside-in kind of obedience. What a sweet prayer that we might pray one for another following the example of the apostle here that the Lord would direct our hearts into his love. And so that is something that we ought to pray for, that our, that our love for the Lord would be, would be found first in our hearts, that it would rise up into that expression of love where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. All right, so then it is with that kind of confidence in the Thessalonian church that Paul will write in verse 6 and following for uh, or in regard to some that had taken the second coming of Christ in an, a very odd way, right? They had taken it in such a way that they had stopped working. There were some, there are some among you, Paul says, they, uh, they walk disorderly. Their lives are not well ordered. And what is, what is wrong with those lives? What, how are they out of order? They don't have a regular calling or they're not working in that regular calling. We could wax eloquent for a few weeks on this uh, sermon upon sermon if we wanted to. The Lord makes it plain in Scripture <clears throat> that the labors, the callings that he gives us are his gift to us. The Lord gives good gifts to all, but especially to his children. And we are able to labor as unto Christ in our earthly callings, no matter what they are. Right? Ladies, we include those of you who work at home with your children. That is your earthly calling and that is done unto the Lord. Those who labor outside the home, for perhaps to receive a, um, a paycheck, uh, uh, some kind of remuneration. Those who own their own businesses, whose, whose bosses, if you will, are their own customers. Right? It doesn't matter what the earthly calling is, the occupation that we have. We are to occupy for Christ Jesus' sake until he comes again because that's what God has put into our hands to do. And this is a wonderful gift from God. Um, it is one of those things that God <clears throat> has put in your hands that really no one can alienate from you unless you become like this man here, a busybody and disorderly. That is the labor that you have. That's a commodity that God has put into your hands with which you can trade for your way in this world. Remember that God gave Adam labor in the garden. Work is not a part of the curse. Laboring with toil and sorrow against a, a recalcitrant and stubborn creation, that's the curse. But work itself is not the curse. Work is a gift from God given to Adam even in his estate of innocence. And may we say that in our day and age, uh, work has, uh, has taken it on the chin, if you will. That uh, I think, and I don't know the spiritual estate of this man. Uh, he's very popular today, or at least was a, a, a couple of years ago. He has a foundation that, uh, that speaks about labor and work and how important it is. And he has is, he is concluded that our society has 
has uh, prosecuted a war on work. Well, I think that he's onto something there. Uh, and it's a sad thing that he is. Um, may I say it this way? Work undertaken for the glory of God, for the Christian, fixes a lot of things for us. It puts a lot of things in order that would normally be out of order. Paul will say here, this is such an important point, beloved, that Paul will say here that if anyone works, number one, neither should he eat. Okay, but number two, that you should withdraw yourself from him. Let that sink in for a second. This is, a, this is an issue that is, that is disciplinable on the part of the church. It used to be that we had in our society, we had what we would call anti-vagrancy laws. That our civil magistrate recognized what was going on here in Second Thess- Thessalonians chapter 3. And so he did his part to discourage that kind of busybodiness, lawlessness, sloth, and so on. There are very uh, many people that, uh, that think of their work as a curse to them. They don't take it up with both hands to the glory of God. Rather, they're working, as one rock band said a few years back, for the weekend. It's the weekend that you're working for. For the Christian, we would rather remember that we labor to the glory of God. As Paul will say to the, to the servant, to the slave, in Colossians chapter 3, Ye serve the Lord Christ. And so, young men, as you grow and develop a calling of your own, uh, uh, think about how you may be of service to the Lord in that. Pick a lawful calling. Don't pick a calling based on, oh, well, I could get rich doing this. That's not the first consideration. The first consideration is, how may I, in some competent fashion, provide for my family and glorify the Lord in doing so? With hard work, with work that is rewarding, it is rewarding because it is God's gift. And it can be done to his glory. So, now what we say here is, um, Paul will, will, will tell them, We behaved ourselves not disorderly among you, but we labored even though we didn't have to. We wanted you all to have the example of an apostle that taught you the word of God during the day and sewed up tents at night so as he wouldn't be burdensome to any of you. Because, beloved, I don't care what they tell you. There is no free lunch. Somebody pays somewhere. Those COVID relief checks that came in the mail came upon someone's labor somewhere. Unless, of course, it was theft from everyone by making up money. It doesn't appear out of nothing. We must remember those things. And so it is the bent of the Christian under the Eighth Commandment to desire... To provide for himself and to pay his own way. Not in a prideful sense. But in the way that we would acknowledge. That if we're not paying our own way. Someone is paying for us. And we desire not to be burdensome to anyone. Although there may be times. 
through providential necessity that we must be. And those times of humbling then are set in our hands so that we at other times may be of comfort to others when we no longer need such help. So all of these things come swirling around here in this, in this place in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul will say, if a man does not work, neither shall he eat. And we showed you that by way of example. Although our apostolic labors are worthy of being paid for, still to be an example, we did not use that power, as he will tell the Corinthians, but rather we labored providing for ourselves. And so we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busybodies. It is important then that we do not encourage or indulge the indolent with our mercies. And beloved, this is an important point. Uh, Sometimes our heartstrings pull at us, and our heartstrings may pull at us in an ungodly way. We don't want to be insensitive to the needs of others that are noble in their deprivation. We want to be able to help them. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves in that. But part of loving our neighbor as ourselves is doing that which is most uh, edifying to him. And there are times when simply throwing money at a solution is not edifying at all. It is rather encouraging indolence. So we must be very careful and very wise. And we must pray for wisdom and trust God's promise in James chapter 1 that he will give wisdom to those who ask. Uh, for our part here at the church, uh, we, we believe it best that if we're going to be generous, that we do that with some sort of supervision. And I'll tell you a success story once that happened here at this church uh, that was uh, very encouraging, and so I will encourage you with it as well. We had a young man call us up. Uh, He called up the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I need $500. I didn't know him. I never met him before. Okay, all right. Um, uh, Are you a member of a church anywhere? Yes, sir, I'm a member of such-and-so, such-and-so Baptist church down the road. Okay, and have you gone to your elders? Have you gone to your church leadership? Have you asked them for help and relief? And he said, yes, I have, and they gave me something. I lost my job. Uh, It was unexpected. I'm trying to find a job. I'm out working uh, as I can, but I can't make my rent this month. And I am uh, indeed uh, trying to provide for my family, but I'm not able to at this time, and and I'm, I'm... just about behind on my rent. And if you would help me, I would really appreciate it. And well, why isn't your church helping you? Well, they have run out of diaconal funds. They don't have any more to give. Okay. Well, give me the name of your pastor then. And so I called up this young man's pastor. The pastor testified on his behalf that he was a good guy, hard worker, had unexpectedly lost his job. The entire story checked out, as it were. We sent a check to the church, and the church gave it to him under ecclesiastical supervision so that there was some accountability there. Now, that's a success story, right? We want to be of service. We want to help, but we want actually to help. And so it is important that we remember those things as, we, as our heartstrings are tugged on, rightly so. 
We want to be compassionate in the right sense, in the biblical sense of that term. There's one more thing here in this section that I want you to understand, and that is that we ought not to be weary in well-doing. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. This is one of those passages that our fathers in Presbyterianism turned to to show us the degrees of censure under discipline. This is an important point. There are times that we will read about in Matthew chapter 18 where it will become necessary to treat someone that was formerly a member in the church as a heathen and publican. Those are Christ's words, not Pastor Todd's. So there are times when that becomes necessary. Notice this man here, they are told not to have company with him and yet to warn him, admonish him as a brother. So we are part way down that road, but not all the way down that road here. And so here, here is a man not working. He has come under some sort of censure from the church, not yet put out of the church as he is being warned and instructed by the elders of the church to draw him back, make that attempt to draw him back from that offense. And while that's going on, we continue as the people of God to treat him as a brother with those proper warnings and instructions that the Lord will make use of to draw him back into full fellowship with the church. Okay, so we, we understand as our confession tells us, right, our confession of faith under the chapter on church censures, that there are steps to this. We don't go from zero to a hundred immediately. We work in, in this graded way, right? Little by little by little. The end of which we, we pray is what? It is for the honor of Christ, for the purity of the, of the, of the body of Christ, and then also for the, uh, for the reclamation of the offender. All three of those things are to be kept in mind with regard to the discipline of the church. And then finally we have our uh, our, our benediction, and what a benediction it is, right? What is a benediction? Let's remember the, the difference between a benediction and a doxology. A benediction is a blessing given to the people of God. A doxology is a praise that goes upward rather than outward. Doxology goes up to God. A benediction comes from God to the people by the mouth of the minister. So the good minister Paul is benedicting. Here. He is speaking blessings. That's what the Latin benedictus means. It, to speak a blessing. Uh, the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always by all means. Of course peace there is not tranquility. It's not outward tranquility. It is right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And right relationship with one another through Jesus Christ. And then the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand. Scholars have waxed eloquent on that, or eloquently on that, uh, for centuries now. Because there was a time at which the Thessalonians thought they had received a letter from Paul, it seems. That may have been a forgery. Some purported letter from us, Paul will write earlier. So he signs his own letters with his hand, although he did not write them all out, they were written by a scribe, but signed by Paul. 
And then finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And it is there that we end. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.